Welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. It is just uh, Chris and me today. Chris, it was your choice. What did you choose? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess it was a choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? I'm confused. We have free will, right? Yeah, we do. I, I, it's definitely not fate, but I... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I maybe it's just the the, the sheer fact that I'm uh, I feel a little guilty for choosing this one because I knew oh, okay. it would be a lot and I knew that it maybe wouldn't be very fun, but uh, it just kind of felt like a compulsion that I yeah. like like just like oh yeah we got to do that. Um, it is, well, but why though? <laughs> let, let, <laughs> let me see if I can muster up a decent answer. Uh, it is Joe and Anthony Russo's uh, Cherry, their first foray into movie making since Avengers Endgame two years ago. Uh, and basically, uh, well, first of all, for those that don't know, uh, because the the, the I, mean, I don't know the marketing of this movie was crap ridiculous yeah <laughs> totally ridiculous made no sense yeah uh it's, and honestly i don't think i really understood what it was about until somebody told me it was uh based on a book and so then i just looked up what the book was about so yeah. it's based on an auto fiction novel which is like a kind of new craze in the publishing world uh where basically they give free reign to people that have had interesting um, real life experiences, but also in that free reign, give them the opportunity to dramatize and embellish whenever and wherever possible uh, to make it as, you know, as fun of a read, as entertaining as a read as you possibly can. That's so bizarre because I, I didn't know what that term was when I saw it and I looked it up on computer. I was like, isn't that just what a memoir is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ways, right? So like, I guess it's more freedom to make stuff up. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think that the, the term has kind of finally become socially acceptable because there was that thing in the 2000s, right, with James Fry and yeah, uh, Million, Million Little, Little Pieces. Pieces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyways, what's this one about? It's uh, written by a uh, Iraq War vet named Nico Walker, and it is his quote-unquote story uh what the blog line is the wild journey of a disenfranchised young man from ohio who meets the love of his life only to risk losing her through a series of bad decisions and challenging life circumstances which is a one of the worst log lines we've had so far (laughs) because those quote bad decisions and challenging life circumstances include everything from uh signing up for the war for basically no reason and uh becoming addicted to uh oxy and heroin and uh turning to a life of crime robbing banks so it's a lot uh and it's especially a lot for the uh kind of layup effort from the guys that have uh the uh, well i guess not anymore because the avatar re-release has officially usurped them again right oh yeah but for a while for a good minute they had the biggest blockbuster of all time in cinematic history um why the hell would they do this for their sophomore not sophomore but like their next release uh and i was just kind of fascinated by that it and so that's kind of where my compulsion lied is like you make the biggest movie ever and then you decide to go to apple tv uh and you know, the only thing in common between uh, the MCU and this is Tom Holland. And that's pretty much where the similarities end. 
Yeah, and like, it, and are you a big MCU person? You know, I, 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 I hate to say it, uh, but I was for a long time. Um, I grew up reading comic books, and so that kind of uh, definitely scratched an itch for me for quite a minute. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know, right around the time of like Infinity War, I say, is where I started losing interest. It's just and, a lot to take on. Yeah. To be a fan. Just, of, that's like a big investment. It felt like a ch- it ended up feeling like a chore, like a obligation yeah. more than a exciting thing to come back to over and over again. So well, if you <laughs> think about it, like these guys had free reign to do this movie, right? Like right. if they're doing Infinity War Endgame, and sure, like Endgame may have got beaten out by Avatar, but like if you put Infinity War and Endgame together, which they probably, you know, on some level should be. They're like makers of one of the biggest movies ever, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think they chose to do something like that? I think they were bored or something. Like MCU, the MCU really does rein in people, don't they? From what yeah, I've heard. Exactly. And that's, and that, I mean, I think that's the other reason I was interested in getting into this is because um, I think the, the big question mark behind the Russos is, um, you know, basically where they came from and how did they end up getting the biggest franchise in history. And I think the answer lies specifically in television. They were TV guys for decades and yeah. they pretty much became effortless uh constructionists of something that was already built for, for them by other people, right? So yeah, like yeah. they directed huge runs of uh, Arrested Development, for which they won uh, an Emmy, uh, Community, Happy Endings, like lots of great shows, but where the direction of those individual episodes didn't really mean anything more than, you know, following a guidebook that had already been set up by the creators and showrunners, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, like, they're really good rule followers, <laughs> essentially. Well, and that's so, why I mean, that's why they work well in the MCU. Exactly. Right? Because if you can follow the studio template with what's his name, Feige, Feige, right. um, you know, like then you're going to do well. They, they definitely they want to play ball. Obviously, mm-hmm. like they're not experimental artists trying <laughs> going out there trying to make something that's going to like push the envelope. But then you get this movie, Cherry. Uh, the first 20 minutes of this, I honestly I had no idea what this was when you chose it. And when I put it on, I was like, I know Tom Holland's in it. I had no idea the Rooster Brothers directed it at all. I knew it was on Apple TV, so that's like, you know, it's kind of be going to be pretty good or at least high quality. Um, and I turned on, I was like, this is insane. <laughs> like the tone of this movie, when it starts out, you're like, this is just nuts. I think you mean tones plural. Yeah, <laughs> well, that we'll get, we'll into, get into that, that. too, and talk about the conception of it. But it it really is. It's almost like it feels like for the Rooster Brothers that this is uh, a career restart. This movie, mm-hmm. um, they want to sort of make their stamp and basically say, "Hey, we're not just these studio guys. We're not just the MCU guys. We can do this really interesting. High, it's hard. It's high art. That's what they're trying to do. Right? It's like art film." Yeah. Um, and when you're trying to do that after you come off of something like Infinity War and Endgame, you know, that's I think it's a pretty tough transition to make. Now you do see some flourishes of that, like on the community episodes they directed. I think they did like the, did they do the paintball ones? Yeah, I think they so. The, so like you know, there's some elaborate sort of interesting stuff there, but um, 
nothing there. I don't really know that much about the early career. Like, welcome to Collinwood. You mean Dupree? What? What is you mean Dupree? Is that that Owen Wilson movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Wait, these, what? They how were these comedy guys. guys. Winter, how do these guys get Winter Soldier? Right. So it's like that solid decade between you, me, and Dupree and Winter Soldier, where they like basically flash their chops in the television world. Yeah. And, you know, that they basically the the other there's two things I want to make sure to mention right at the get go as kind of my thesis statement for what the hell is going on with Cherry. Um, Number one. It, it's a homecoming film, right? Like, they mm-hmm. clearly had a some kind of personal connection with the original text um, being based on the story of a guy from the middle of nowhere, Ohio, which is where they're from. And the only reason they really got their career started is because they put together a movie um, all on their own, kind of going back to our Swingers episode, just credit cards and student loans, <laughs> except without, you know, the the the, the rich friend of the dad and so like these guys are like even more homegrown than the average uh filmmaker that we cover here on film trace um which is crazy to think about considering where they're at now um but literally this movie that they made pieces back in 1998 uh still unreleased it just made it on the festival circuit it never got a distributor but (sighs) it did catch the attention of steven soderbergh who then gave them a a lot of cash to make welcome welcome to collinwood a completely yeah. forgettable 2002 kind of like mob <laughs> comedy uh and so but like just through sheer persistence and ingenuity and the crowd pleasing ethics aesthetics of uh their style um managed to carve out a career for themselves and yeah. so then here's where my second prong of my thesis comes in they wanted to come back home, so to speak, which makes sense for anybody who's homegrown and yeah. has moved to Hollywood. But also, I kept coming back to it, and I, I was solidified in my, uh, arg- in my argument. Basically, when Tom Holland's character is in basic training before the Iraq War, and he just straight up says in his sardonic uh, voiceover, yeah. don't join the fucking army. And that immediately made me think of all of the news stories that were circulating, um, especially in the aftermath of Endgame, and also it kind of started flaring up with Captain Marvel, which they didn't direct, but, you know, they, once again, they're they're following the rules. And one of the main rules they had to follow to the letter with all of their MCU movies is to present the military-industrial complex of the United States in a favorable light. Oh god, yeah. Empire right? movies, empire building movies. Exactly. And <laughs> so I I have to feel like and I I I tried reading around. I feel like maybe you did more um research on the actual film than me this time around. Um so I'd be curious to see if you came across this at all, but I don't I haven't seen anybody mention the fact that this feels like their chance to give them give the middle finger to the US Army that had basically held them hostage for these last several movies. And to finally just come oh, out man. and say, fuck the U.S. Army. But in the context of this kind of coming home opioid crisis epidemic sheen, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, because like, yeah, I'm just, just I can't believe their career. It's just, it's so bizarre. Um, because this is the first movie they've had a real budget where their hands weren't tied behind their back. 
Right. Like this is a, there was originally a hundred million dollar movie. Then for some reason got cut down to $40 million. I'm not sure why, because they were going to shoot it. They're going to shoot it in Cleveland. They like didn't have enough money or something. Then they shoot it in like Los Angeles and then they lost their budget. They lost $60 million of their budget. So it became a $40 million movie, which is tough to make a, a movie like this on $40 million. Right. Um, but they did have sort of free reign to do what they want and sort of a feature film. And this is what they decided to do. It's funny you mentioned the political side of this because I didn't even like pick up on it because, you know, I think the Iraq war, especially, I guess we call it the Iraq war, the second Iraq war. Is that what yeah. we call it? I don't even Electric know. I call it Iraq war too. Yeah. Right. Um, has such a negative connotation in our society. Mm-hmm. Like who, there's not a lot of people waving flags being like, yeah, I fought in the second Iraq war. Like, it's just not a thing that it doesn't feel like it comes up as a, a, a point of national pride. Oh, no. I think for a lot of people, it's a point of national embarrassment. You know, like when you think about like how many people believe that Iraq was behind 9-11, that's a big reason why we invaded Iraq. Well, of course, they weren't. They're all Saudi Arabian for the most part uh, and had nothing to do with Iraq. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, an interesting perspective on that because I just sort of take that as like the norm. That, like, the way we view the war and the PTSD, I think, like, one of the biggest cultural takeaways from that war was, you know, the the mental illness that came back with the troops, the rate of suicide for people who served overseas. That, to me, was, like, the big story. And, like, what happened to Iraq? It completely fell into an abyss of civil war, you know, after we invaded and sort of st- stuck around, but we couldn't stop the civil war from happening, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, but that, I, that is a really fascinating because I did not think about that at all. And I didn't come across anything political uh, in their like video interviews that I went through on YouTube. And they did a lot of them for this one. Right. So the main interview people, it's always interesting to see who they get to put out front for the, the in-person interviews. And it was the, the Russo brothers and Tom Holland were in like 30 interviews. Yep. Um, but I didn't see almost nothing about the politics. But it, it's so front and center when you think about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like that's the main thrust of the film is bored dude has an issue um you know with his girlfriend at the time um you know is kind of existentially lost let me join the army it's like a really kind of tried and true story right. and then what happens afterwards um i don't do you do you do you really think that like this to them is like a molotov cocktail almost that's i mean that's that's the vibe i kept getting yeah from the get-go and i guess i knew Going in after finding out about, you know, the source material, that there was going to be this Iraq War Army vet PTSD connection, but I didn't realize how big that was going to play into the overall journey of the protagonist, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It seemed like in the marketing and in the interviews, that was just one component. If anything, it felt like the opioid crisis, in quote marks, was what they were trying to put front, what they were saying they were trying to put front and center. Yeah. Um, but you don't have the op- opioid epidemic without the Iraq war. Um, yeah, yeah, that's in true. In many ways. So yeah. when you're going down to like, you know, ground zero, sorry for the tasteless pun, but yeah. you have this ultimate repudiation of this system that lured in and just fucked over countless young men and he's and this guy who's also nameless which i think is important right in the movie um even if that's kind of played out and i was like whatever um in reaction to it 
is, you know, the classic, uh, you know, uh, reading of that is that he's a stand-in for any possible army vet, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that, because that's, like, I had a note in the production where they talk about, in one of the interviews, they talk about, like, an overhead shot um mm. and how they basically it goes an overhead shot the movie takes place in cleveland right in the middle of, of ohio there and like um here's the quote he goes uh, we did some interesting shots that are overhead shots about um uh, about all these homes in cleveland what we were really trying to say is that this is one person's story among millions right so exactly what you're saying is that, like he's supposed to be the everyman um that's interesting because i don't know if this is a common experience for most americans Hmm. um i think they probably have some association with it um but you know i don't know it's at the same time they're trying to do this everyman thing and this is a, a a theme that comes up over and over again in their interviews and sort of how they conceive of this movie and the tone but it's like on the one hand you have this palatable everyman story and on the other hand you have this super gritty super specific story about cleveland and they're like there's these two different sort of goals they want it to be um a clear story and a good movie they say that over and over. they want it to be a good movie that you can <laughs> that you want to that you want to watch but they also want it to be specific enough to have some sort of emotional sort of um power and insight into this character um and that's a very tough thing to do um and it's interesting like they talk about you know in terms of what got them interested in the story and the book in the first place the fact that they're the authors from cleveland they're from cleveland um there's a great quote where joe russo says uh it just comes from being from a city that's tough-nosed and in a dying industry it's a city that in a lot of ways when they're when you're there and you're younger you feel like you lack forward momentum um, and then it goes on to say, we understand the mentality of being from Cleveland, but we also understand how that sense of existential blight fuels the opioid crisis, uh, and what makes the industrial Midwest basically ground zero for this crisis. Um, so they're like, they're trying to do a lot, I think yeah. is oh, what yeah. you gather, not only from the story aspects in the, in the novel, that they're trying to film, but also with the film techniques, the tone and how they shoot and the changing of aspect ratios and the changing of the tone of the film. Um, it's pretty, uh, I was going to say pretentious, but I don't think it's that pretentious. I think most of the reviewers and a lot of the reaction has been like, Oh, this is super pretentious. That's mm-hmm. what kind of what I get from most of the reactions is that like, they're trying to do too much. I think it's pretty like cool that they're going for it. Um, and I think it, I think that rubs people the wrong way. Like how, mm, how self conscious the film is, uh, in terms of trying different things and using the medium of film to create and different experiences for the viewer. Um, it, it, it is on some level kind of feels a little bit on the experimental side, uh, in terms of doing that. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about like the tone and the going in terms of the conception of going into this movie and what they're trying to accomplish in terms of making it watchable, but also bringing something that is gritty and true. Do you think that that works or do you think that that was like a failed endeavor? Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I feel like out of all the movies we've covered for this podcast, this is the one that I am split about the most. 
Yeah. I, I, cause I totally get why it's gotten negative reviews. I totally get why it frustrated a lot of people. But like you said, there's something admirable, and there always, I think, is something admirable about swinging for the fences, yeah. even, even if you, you know, even if it's a, a foul ball left of center. Um, you think that you have this clear story, you know, single protagonist journey epic, but once you get into the tones, that's where then everything feels kind of messy. And also, like, the added aspect of it being both a war and drug movie, I I can't think of too many instances where you have both so uh, emphasized in a script. Yeah. And, like, both of those have so many tropes already laden within them um, throughout the course of film history that it's incredibly difficult to find new and interesting and watchable ways to do that without it being feeling boring or trite and the fact that they're able to pull that off like yeah i was i was not engaged all the way through the film and i definitely had to give myself a break from it which is maybe an, a bonus to <laughs> the streaming yeah. uh, uh you know the proclivities of <laughs> so many of these studios nowadays um but at the end of the film as you know, jostled as I was by its uh, juggling of tones, I ultimately felt like, you know, at least it got me thinking about stuff in a way where I was um, not wanting to give up on the film. Like, it was not trying to, it was doing, it was both trying to push you away and pull you in at the same time, which is a very unusual thing for a film to do usually it's just focusing on one of those efforts right yeah and that's one of the reasons why it doesn't come across as uh like oh it's like melodramatic but it's not in a way that's like overly self-indulgent um because it's like when someone tells a melodrama and kind of goes all in and doesn't jostle the audience at all um, it creates a very saccharine, fake sense to the film and the story. Mm -hmm. But with this, you know, I think the underlying story is very melodramatic and maybe saccharine. I, of course it is, like the way it ends, too. Like, yeah. you know, he gets mm -hmm. out of prison and she's there. Um, it's it kind of ridiculous. But the way that they forced the subjective viewpoint on you, and they made clear that in terms of how they shot it, it was basically like, we're going to force you to have his perspective, which is, I think, easier to do when you're filming a book because a book is the easiest way to force the subjective viewpoint on a, on a reader, right? Yeah. Um, and so they had that base material there and they basically, let's just shove this in people's face and kind of, kind of replicate what his experience would look like in each stage of this story. And there's like, what, six chapters to it, I think? Mm -hmm. Um. And as much as like I am an old curmudgeon and I think, you know, you know, being a little bit too confident in your ability, especially in art, can be a very, very bad thing. But I always fall back on what um, I don't know when he said this, but Tony Kushner, the playwright, said this, I think in some interview or when I saw him once, he basically said that like greatness is impossible without pretension. Hmm. Right. You can't create something great unless you're trying you're striving to do something different and amazing 
uh, and you're reaching towards greatness. If you reach towards greatness and you fail, you're called pretentious. But if you reach towards towards greatness and you get there, you're just called amazing. And it's the same act, essentially. It's either you land it or you don't. Here, uh, I think with this film, it's kind of a mixed result. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't think it's a good movie. I'll put that, I mean, I'll put that right out there. I don't think it's a good film. Uh, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think the story is, they rely too much on those tonal shifts to tell the story. Right, right. And, uh, it becomes almost like vignettes attached together. And it does feel like different movies as you move from one chapter to the next. But there's something to be said for going for that. Yeah. And it kind of like it makes me think of, you know, the reaction to this. And we'll get to that a little bit later. It's not being great. Um, but I do kind of wonder what this how this film's gonna be viewed in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, what are your kids gonna think of this movie when they're our age? Is it gonna be seen in a different way? Um, and then you know, that's the you know, a very common tale with uh, films like this. And I mean, is it doing well? I guess it's doing okay on streaming. A lot of people are watching it. It didn't really make much of the box office because the box office isn't really um, going right now for the most part. But I would say critically and stuff like that has not been a home run. But I do think the audaciousness of what they're doing will be rewarded down the line. And people will look back on this and be like, oh, like this was a really interesting way to present this story and there's so many different flourishes in it that i feel like you're a film nerd or whatever i can just see um you know someone who's super into film liking aspects of this but hating the entire movie you know what i mean like loving this scene or that scene or how he did this or how they did um you know they shot this or that but hating the overall product right Right. Um, I just think it's one of those movies that it's uh, ultimately the average person is probably going to hate. And I would never recommend this person, this movie to <laughs> most people. Um, like, it's like the parents, like, would you recommend this to, to your, uh, your mom? No. And you'd be like, no. Right. Like, it's like, would I would recommend it to my sister. Probably not. Um, but would I recommend it to like the film nerd friend I have in Nashville? Yes. Right. Like it's a hundred percent. Yes. Like you're going to, you need to see this because it's kind of, it's a bold step, um, more than anything. Um, you know, in terms of how this thing was shot, it was shot in Cleveland. Um, what do we think about Holland's performance in this and bring him on as such like, a you know, as Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> right. we saw him before in what is the devil all the time where mm-hmm. he played, you know, I thought he was pretty good in that. Um, what do we make of the decision for the Russell brothers to bring him in? And then how do you think that that played out? You know, I, I, I read a lot of reviews saying that people thought that Holland was one of the few highlights of the film. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't think he was bad, but I also like, he, the guy had to do a very difficult kind of high wire act considering all the tonal shifts and considering the, the extreme, um, ends of the spectrum that this character experiences. Like I said, you rarely see uh, an actor do both the drug addict and 
PTSD thing at the same time. And uh, I, I don't, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. He, I mean, he, he did that interview with uh, GQ UK in which he basically said he had, you know, he had no idea what being on drugs was like. He knew what a hangover was like, but yeah. he had to, um, the best thing that he could do, do to approximate it was uh, some kind of like crazy supercharged energy shot that messed him up and made him feel like he had caffeine coursing through his veins immediately. Um, but like, I don't know. It's it, it's one of those things where, like, and I look back at the film, watching it a couple days ago, and the the drug use scenes don't don't stand out to me. The um, war scenes that are incredibly traumatic that perhaps are the basis for his PTSD don't stand out to me either. I think the one thing that Holland does really well that I think is uh, kind of underplayed in the film, and I almost wished I had I got more of was those quiet moments including like at the end of the film there is a actually really cool kind of setup and shot um where you know he gives up and he he wants to be caught um because yeah. he's hate he hates this life and he's standing in the middle of the street shooting his gun in the air and then goes to the curb to shoot up with heroin one last time before the cops eventually find him and like those quiet moments and there's also some quiet moments with uh cr bravo's character uh who plays Emily, the love of his life, um, where I could, like, he, he, he did fit that everyman role really well. So while, like, the really emotional, melodramatic pieces didn't really work for me, and I think Holland's not quite there as an actor, I mean, the dude's only 24, um, yeah. I do think that there's something special about him and the, a reason why he's kind of been so successful. Um, but uh, it's more in those kind of calmer moments of the film, which I like I said, wish there was more of because there's so much chaos in this film. What do you think? I mean, yeah, it's, I think it works really well having him in there. And it was such a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think, you know, there's some quote in here by Joe Russo, you know, after we read the book, we felt the only person who could play this and carry the correct level of empathy was Tom. And, um, I do think that they had a problem and they mentioned this is that you know they say that we knew the audience would have a difficulty with the lead uh, so we needed someone who was charming and empathetic to carry them through the mission with cherry is to make people have an emotional response to the material not an intellectual response is what joe russo said in, in gq uk um i think that that worked out really well because the character i would say for the first 30 minutes i found him to be extremely unlikable mm-hmm. um someone who you know, it's it's kind of like one of those tests is like, do I see any of myself in this person? Do I aspire to anything that this person is doing? And the first half out of this movie, it's an absolute no. <laughs> uh, he's a, a jerk. Um, you know, he's super mean. He's violent. Uh, he's kind of stalker-y with the, with the Emily. Um, he just doesn't come across as very good, a good person that you'd want to know or be close to. But as you get to know him more and more, I think Colin does have that ch- natural charm to him where he makes this very unsavory character palatable, just like the Rooster Brothers wanted. And he really brings you in. I think by the end of it, I was like, yeah, like I feel something for him in his position, mm-hmm. um, which I think is v- incredibly hard to do. Uh, with this type of character i mean you think about it he he comes across in the beginning is just kind of like a bored a little bit of a burnout 
who joins um, the U.S. Army because the girl that he loves is moving away. So he doesn't know what to do with himself, so he joins the army. Um, then, you know, does okay there, comes home, uh, gets involved with drugs. That spirals out of control because that problem gets so bad, he starts robbing banks with a gun, putting a gun in people's faces, uh, which is something reviewers brought up, how this movie sugarcoats the crimes that this person's committing like he's literally putting people's lives in jeopardy the the one guy in the story not to be a spoiler alert you know because of doing the bank robbery gets killed they don't take him to the hospital he basically dies because they don't take him to the hospital um he's not a good person right um but tom holland can sell it and i think he sold it very well here in a way that i think worked really well for the film overall um but i think we're a little bit in the minority here I kind of liked this movie. I liked what they tried to do. And it sounds like you have some affinity for it as well. Yeah. Um, but critics hate this movie. I know. Like they <laughs> hate it. Uh, 37% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 52 out of 100, terrible score. Uh, top critics even lower, 32%. Um, Metacritics at a 44 uh, audience score is higher, seventy four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Letterbox of a fifth. This is the most surprising one to me is a Letterbox score. Mm-hmm. Letterbox score of a fifty four. So the the people who I think would be most into this kind of the film nerds and snobs uh, hate this thing. You know, a fifty on Letterbox is pretty terrible overall, and IMDb is not that high either at sixty six. Right. Um, so, you know, what do we make of the response here to this movie, especially among critics, uh, and kind of the art aficionado crowd? Um, why do you think it's been so negative? It's, it's tough to tell. I mean, one thing that really stood out to me, uh, I don't have it on our notes, but Sheila O'Malley, who's one of my favorites for RogerEbert.com, um, made probably the just simplest salient point is that this movie is essentially goodfellas for war vets and i think that that's a lot of the bad taste that was in my mouth for like the first like you mentioned the 30 first 30 minutes are rough (laughs) of this movie and very rough yeah uh part of what makes it so difficult to digest and like kind of uh understand the weird amalgamation of tones that uh the russos are clearly doing on purpose but like we said swinging for the fences and not really caring about where it lands um or if they are they have this very strict personalized vision that is just not blending and i think that comes from you know them not really having a chance throughout their careers to develop their voice in many ways this is kind of like you said it's kind of like their rebirth or this chance to start over and so it's going to be messy um and so what do you do when you uh don't really have your own singular vision you ape you emulate and so they i mean as any good Italian born American uh, that yeah. is trying to become an auteur would do, they look to Scorsese and see how he's able to keep that frenetic pace uh, about bad people um, for sustained over the course of, you know, a two plus hour movie. And um, they 
kind of just went with that and they tried to like you said added their flourishes um there's a letterboxd review that is just uh the most liked letterboxd review about this film uh pov you're inside tom holland's asshole and, <laughs> and like that's literally one of the shots in the film and also yeah. it's a you know pretty uh clever metaphor for the film in general uh that we're just trying to like understand and experience this guy's life inside and out. And yet we're just kind of being seeing like navel gazing in action. Um, yeah. Which is unfortunate no. because like you said, there are some things that are really likable and admirable about the movie. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's one of the, the, the best criticisms of criticisms of the film is that it, it does kind of just lump. It's like a stew of different sort of styles, which is on purpose. Like they even said that, um, you know, they talk about each chapter of the film and making uh, and sort of the conception of what they're doing for each chapter. And they said the opening, the opening chapter of falling in love is magical realism. Basic training is absurdism. The war is absurd. Absurdism meets horror. Uh, PTSD is horror. Drugs is a certain sense of irony and detachment. The incarceration is redemption. And so the character goes through all of these cycles over the course of the film. And we felt the best way to capture that was by making them as distinct as possible and then heightening them as much as possible. That's what Joe Russo said to EW. So I you know it was, it was such a self-conscious effort to do that. But I think one of the end results is sort of what Anne Hornaday says from the Washington Post. She says the result is a movie that feels like many films being shoehorned into one here evoking jarhead there evoking rec room for a dream mm -hmm. but always keeping its emotional essence at a distance obscured by ever more arresting technical flourishes um so it's like it really the the crux of the movie lies within that conflict between imitation and sort of the emotional honesty of the film i you know i don't i don't know i guess i don't i don't see that as the criticism what I see like the main failure of this film is that it just doesn't work uh, and that it doesn't really land a coherent emotional narrative that really makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it, it's back and forth. It's all over the place. It is super powerful in a lot of ways, um, but you don't, you don't end the story necessarily. It's just, it just feels so jumbled and assembled in a way that it doesn't have a, a through line. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the more negative reviews, I think I read like this one from uh, Joe Morgenstern. Oh, uh, yeah. From wall street <laughs> journal. I just, it's funny though. It's like, no, he, the quote, no one is likable, let alone endearing or lovable. And nothing is understated ever, ever, ever watching the hero talk to the camera while robbing a bank. I wish he would just shut up and live his life without commenting on it. Um, you know, responses like that and critics like that don't are, are pointless, right? Like he's not engaging with the film at all. Um, you know, I think what I think is missing from a lot of the reactions is the intent. And this is not just some random group of people doing this to make money. Like there is a very specific artistic intent. And when you read the interviews and you hear Tom Holland and you hear the Russo brothers, none of what they did was really on accident. Um, and it, it's one thing to say, hey, it's a mess. It doesn't really work, which is what I'm saying. On the other hand, it's to say this is bad. I don't think that it's necessarily a bad attempt at doing a great movie. It's not a great movie, but I think the attempt was pretty amazing and phenomenal in some ways. 
Um, and I think it will, you know, in terms of their next movie and what Tom Holland does, it'll be kind of a marker in their careers and what they do with the rest of their work. Um, but I think it, it's so easy to diminish a movie like this. And I think that's what I'm seeing with a lot of critics and a lot, some of the viewers views are a little bit less harsh, right? But I think the critical viewpoint, it just seems very, really, um, kind of condescending if that makes sense. And cynical, I feel too. Very cynical, like super cynical. And especially for two movie, you know, two directors who have come off, you know, the biggest series in film ever, essentially to do something like this. It's pretty bold. Yeah. Um, and like they're know, easy targets, right. For, totally, for critics. Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily surprising, but it is unfortunate that, uh, that that's what we've kind of come to. Um, I will say though, that like, there are some of those stylistic flourishes that just really hit me the wrong way. Like I didn't need them to rename city bank, shitty bank with the logos <laughs> or any of that nonsense. Um, yeah. that felt like just, I mean, it almost felt like like uh, suddenly I was breaking into like a community episode. Uh, yeah, and totally. it just yeah. So like that amalgamation of styles, uh, it seemed like that's what they wanted, but they didn't really think about like the effect of it, which is part of perhaps you know the curse of being so wildly successful is that you're kind of blind to those things and uh, the fact that you're you know veering so far away from um the mainstream and doing things on your own you don't necessarily have anybody and you don't necessarily want to have anybody pointing out those kinds of misjudgments along the way you uh i really want to comment on this deep dive you put up oh yeah uh, which is why it's why most movies about the iraq war failed from collider um it is an interesting topic now i haven't seen all of these movies without a doubt i've seen a lot of them but it is a war that has i think perplexed um maybe artists in some way i mean has there been a definitive iraq or iraq war movie like there was apocalypse now or deer hunter from vietnam or platoon um is there anything out there in this list and would you put cherry up there in that world at all i mean i the the hurt locker is the only one i think yeah Uh, i think the only one that really connected yeah that's a good i think it's a good one um I think the messenger. That'd be the other one I'd say. Is yeah, the, I thought that was really well done. Right, but most of them are not good. Um, no. And there's just nothing. There's no. I don't. And like as much as this, this movie to me is more about the opioid crisis and the maybe the crisis in Middle America of just you know the economy ch- basically changing on people and the death of the middle class. Um, that's what this movie to me is more about than say the Iraq War. Um, because ultimately, you know, a war movie shouldn't just be about the guy who goes to fight the war. And like, let's, you know, let's be honest, the, the start of that war was pretty ridiculous and, you know, very one-sided. Uh, so there's not really, uh, an insightful or wisdom that you can draw from a single U S troop going to fight. You know, like, what does right. that even mean? Like, it'd be, yeah. it'd be better from the Iraqis point of view to get like a, a view of that war in a different way that had some meaning to it um yeah i don't know it's 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 an interesting topic i just i don't think that this really reaches the level of sort of a statement film necessarily about like oh this is what the iraq war is about yeah Um, though i do think it would have it could have been interesting since these are tv guys if they had considered like you could have treated 
one of the seasons of the show Cherry as the Iraq War. Like you could have separated those chapters of the film and really been able to get at something, which is another thing that kind of frustrated with me, frustrated me with the film is that like, as soon as the war segment got done, um, then we're in this new world. And so it, it almost like the backfires in that it gives you reason to kind of put the previous chapter out of your mind, even though it's a journey film in which they should all interlock pretty well. Um, but they don't. So, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I would say this, if you are like, um, if you're interested in films that sort of are tried new things and want to show a story in a different way than you normally see in you know, in a blockbuster film, absolutely see this movie. Uh, if you're not into sort of anything that's super gritty, drug use, violence, a, a really, um, almost obscene or strange viewpoint don't see this movie <laughs> like it's like it's pretty much that simple either you, either you can handle the deep trip or you can't and so if you can't, <laughs> don't see the movie uh what are we doing oh, what are we doing it's my pick yeah it's next week yeah it's tell us what you got dan 15th anniversary of darren afnoski's uh the pol- polarizing sci-fi romance i love did you put that in there Polar- yeah <laughs> the, the, the fountain the fountain it's gonna be on stars we might have a special guest he's not confirmed yet he might be busy um but from we might hollywood have itself guests. from from hollywood itself <laughs> a special guest uh yeah the fun that should be a really fun one it was a movie i think that was huge for us i guess that would be college right yeah, yeah college. right after college yeah. right after college and um i think it hit us a little bit differently back then than it, than it does now but uh that'll be fun uh thanks for listening this has been filtrates mm-hmm.